Thank you again for your welcome today. Thank you, Sam, for your casting vote that got me back over the line. It's always good to be encouraged when you arrive in church, isn't it, eh? Josh is always encouraging to me, even if it's in a... No, I won't go there. It's okay. So last week when I was here, um, Sam asked me to speak a bit about what I was doing. And there's one thing that I, I should have mentioned that I wanted to say thank you about, but sort of escaped me in the moment. And that is one of the other things that we're doing HelpWise is we're partnering with you as a church in supporting Simon Mubunga in Zambia, and it's our privilege to do that. I don't know for you, Graham, but Simon's usually in touch with me a couple of times a week, always something going on in his life, and certainly a person worth supporting. So thank you for your partnership with us in that, and we're glad to facilitate your giving to Simon as well. And in that context, I should also mention that the church had been supporting Juvenile and Joshua in Rwanda, and uh, the church leadership had to make the difficult decision, decision not to support them any longer financially because of the church's financial situation. And I just want to say to those of you who made that decision, I know how hard that sort of thing is to do. And I know you would really have wrestled with that um, because I've been in that situation myself in church leadership where we've had to, shall I say, pull the pin on supporting somebody that we've been supporting previously. The good news about that is that Ringwood Community Church has picked up supporting both of those people. So those people's needs will still be met. So praise God he had a way of working all of that out for the good of those people. But thank you for your support for Joshua and Juvenile over the journey and over the time as well. I know they really appreciate it and do appreciate it. I'll be seeing them in just a couple of weeks' time. So I was asked to speak about praying for one another continually uh, from this passage in uh, Thessalonians. And I thought in the spirit of openness, transparency, you know, we talked about that last week, that we should be transparent with one another. I don't find praying easy. Uh, I can pray publicly. I do that fairly easily. I've done that a lot. I can pray with others easily. I've done that a lot. But when I get into my study and I'm praying, I intend to pray, there's a thousand and one other things that come into my mind. There are a thousand and one other things to do. And if, if God were to write a report card on my prayer life, I'm sure he would write, easily distracted. <laughs> I find that hard. I find also the discipline of regular, systematic, daily prayer in that kind of way, though I pray quite a bit, I find that difficult, not easy to engage with. So I'm talking to you today as somebody who's still on the journey, still discovering about prayer. Uh, I find it one of the most, the hardest disciplines. I'd rather do something than pray. Prayer doesn't feel like doing something to me. That's the way that I'm wired. So I thought it would be good to start with that kind of confession so you can know who it is that's speaking to you about these things today. I want to say a couple of things generally about prayer before we dig into the passage. The first is that prayer is really a mystery to me because sometimes you pray fervently, earnestly, long-term, and God doesn't answer. Other times you have all those giveaway prayers that God does answer. How do you, how do you reconcile that kind of thing? I, last week I talked about our friend who was told she had a demon. And that's why she had cancer. You know, I don't think in my whole life before or since I've ever seen a church pray so fervently and earnestly for someone. Uh, from our point of view as people who are all the same age at, at that time and all had small children, it just seemed wrong to us that she should die and leave her husband with the care of the two small children. 
So you pray, you pitch in that space with your prayers. We prayed earnestly, we prayed believingly, we prayed, prayed faithfully and full of faith, and she died. Then, it's about 10 years ago now, 12 years ago on my first trip to Tanzania, I had the fear of God put in me by a friend, not in a good way, shall I say. He told me about the dangers of thro- flying through Dar es Salaam and how they will, uh, people will get to you um, and kidnap you. He'd been uh, a major in the Australian Army, so he's very familiar with Dar es Salaam. I said to him, oh, it's okay. Uh, I've got somebody from the hotel picking me up. I'm getting in at 10.30 at night, but they're picking me up. He said, Peter, they will kill the driver to get to you. Now, really, that really embeds fear in your life, right? So I went and did my thing in Mwanza, which is about an hour and a half flight from uh, Dar es Salaam. And when I was coming back, I'm sitting in this tin shed of an airport, a very small airport in Mwanza, waiting for my flight. And I prayed an almost just a passing prayer. God, if I'm in trouble, seat me next to somebody so they can help me out. It was just like that, you know, just one of those instant things. And God answered that in a very curious way in that uh, the person doing the check-in did some racial profiling. So they put all of the white people together on the plane. It was me and seven Tanzanian albinos. Think about that. And sure enough, when I got to Dar es Salaam and my driver was not there, they waited with me until he arrived. So God answered that, that need in my life. But how do I put those two things together? How do I understand that? Here's Peter who sort of prays in the moment. He's worried about something. And it happens. And yet you have all of these people pray and it doesn't happen. How do you work that out? I have only one answer to that. And my answer is that I can only reconcile those things through faith. You know, in, and by faith I mean in Psalm, in Isaiah 55, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And that's what I mean about a mystery. Sometimes we pray long and fervently about things that don't ever get answered and we wonder why. The only answer to that in my thinking is that somehow God knows what is best and I have to trust in that. I had that experience when my, my father died. My father was an unbeliever and, uh, I found it really hard when my father died to pray because I didn't want to cut him off my, take him off my prayer list. It was an admission of failure. But I remember the night that he died, I rang my sister and then later on she rang back and said to me, tell me that he'll be okay. You know, like you're the pastor, you can pronounce that he's gone to heaven, that's okay, that's really what she was saying. And I said to her, words that I don't think came from my intellect, I think they were words that God gave me because it was what I needed. And what I said to her was, I can't say that. I can't say what's happened to Dad, but all I can say is that I believe in a God who only does what is right. And whatever's happened to Dad, God's been faithful and loving and kind to Dad in that. And that's been a great source of comfort for me down through the years. Because sometimes we put our faith in the outcome when our faith needs to be in the God of the outcome, irrespective of the outcome. So I just want to encourage you in that because probably there will be some of you who are wrestling with some of those kinds of things here, I'm sure, in your life. 
you know, when I became a Christian, um, I guess this reflected the typical kind of thinking about prayer, and I still think it's valid based on the, the Lord's Prayer. Somebody came up with a little acrostic, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. As I've got older, I, I would add a couple of things to that. I think meditation is an important part of prayer to quiet your own heart, your own soul, and to listen for what God wants to you to pray for and how to pray. You know, um, other contemplative traditions in Christianity have a better track record of this than we do in the evangelical church, that sort of just sitting in God's presence, soaking in his presence and just listening to the Spirit speaking to you. I know some people in evangelical circles don't think that's how God works, but we're going to read an example of that from Paul's story today. So I think God's still the same. And then the other one that I think is definitely in the Lord's Prayer is this idea of submission. Lord, I give myself to you. That is definitely in the Lord's Prayer because he says that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If I'm not mistaken, that's submitting myself to the will of God and the world around me. So there's just some things by way of introduction. But in Paul's prayers in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3, it really reflects this idea of thanksgiving and supplication. And I'm going to add uh, a reading to what we just did. Oh, actually, I might do this first, sorry. I, I was thinking about... Uh, where might Paul have learned to pray? Because we all learn to pray somewhere. Right? I remember as a uh, being in an unbelieving family, going visiting my grandparents who were both believers. They were actually exclusive brethren. And I'd go to their house on the farm and I hoped that I would turn up after breakfast was all packed up and done with. Because if I didn't, there was a Bible reading at the end of breakfast and both my grandparents would get down on their knees and of course only my grandfather would pray because that's what the men do right and my grandmother would wear a hanky on her head so she had her head covered they were really serious about that stuff but as I look back before ever I knew Jesus I learned some things about praying by observing those things kind of fits with what I talked about last week that you know when you're in the way with people when you're being an example to people they learn things that will help them when they later on become believers So no doubt in my mind that Paul learned about praying in his Jewish heritage, prayer, there were ritual prayers for the morning and the evening for different meals and different festivals and all that kind of thing. So prayer would have been part of Paul's life. Certainly in his Pharisaical teaching with Gamaliel, that would have been true as well. In Acts 22, he talks about, he's giving his personal testimony and he talks about how when he was in the temple and he was praying, he fell into a trance and God spoke to him in the midst of that. So Paul learns something about God speaking to him uh, when he was in the temple. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul just went to sleep, right? He didn't just go to sleep in church. He actually fell into a trance. He was in a spiritual state. Maybe he was like being at the gym, a bit of spiritual fitness, eh? So God spoke to him in a dream, in, in a trance. And so he learns something about that, that God speaks to you when you wait in his presence. Then Paul talks about how he went to Arabia and into Damascus. He was there for a time before he went to be uh, with the apostles in Jerusalem. And, and we pick up the sense that this was a developmental time for Paul. We're not told much about it, but probably during that time there was some growth in prayer and understanding of those things as well. But I'm sure Paul's understanding of prayer was also shaped by his own struggles. In Second Corinthians, he tells us that he had a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what it was. People uh, 
have conjecture about that. Nobody really knows for sure. Uh, but he was afflicted. And he said, I prayed three times that God would take it away. But God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So he had this wrestle. God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? You can understand that going on. But God actually speaks to him and gives him an answer, which is, no, no, the way of faith is for you. The way of faith without this happening is for you. And if you trust in me, I will make you strong. You will still have that problem, but I will make you strong. So Paul, as an individual, struggled with prayer. In relation to that, uh, the lady who died, I remember somebody saying to me once that if we'd had enough faith, she wouldn't have died. And I said, well, what about the Apostle Paul? Oh, well, he said he didn't have enough faith. And I thought, man, that's really that's really out there. I'm, I'm in no position to judge the Apostle Paul, that's for sure. So what I've done is I've, I've overlaid two prayers uh, in First Thessalonians. And the prayer of Paul in First Thessalonians chapter 1, I'll read you the verses, they're not very long. It says, We always thank God for all of you and continually, there's that word again, mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you take time, as I did, you'll discover that the prayer in chapter 1 and the prayer in chapter 3, which was read to us, have lots of similarities. Paul uses the word we. And I said last week that Paul is not only writing on his own behalf, he's writing on behalf of all his team. Thanks is part of both prayers. He gives thanks for them and who they are. The idea of praying continually or praying earnestly is part of both prayers. In every case... He addresses God, God, God the Father, he calls him. He says, we pray for all of you. So that means that, and and it's not just you, it's like, it's a plural you, or as we would say in Tasmania, yous, right? That kind of idea, right? He's praying for yous, right? Everybody he's praying for. And uh, he says that he prays night and day or continually. So there's this idea of ongoing prayer that he's praying. And then there are certain things that he remembers about them, that he thinks about them in his prayers. And I want to look at those in slightly more detail. So when Paul uses the term we, he's talking about his group. He's talking about the group that he's praying for. And remember, he prays for yous. He prays for plural people. This reminds us that really prayer is part of our communal life as a church. That although I sit in my room and I pray on my own, I'm part of the church. I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm not an isolated individual. I'm actually a representative of the body of Christ in that situation. And my prayers are for the body of Christ and the work of God beyond the body of Christ. So prayer is an important part of community life as a church, something that we need, should be pursuing. Then when he talks about God and God the Father, this is who he's praying to. He's focused on God as the actor, the one who can can act, the one who can answer his prayer, and the one who provides the answer for the prayer. You know, when Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, I believe the idea of hallowing God's name is to focus us on to whom we are praying and their capacity, right? See, Paul says in Ephesians 3 and 20 that God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or even imagine. 
So we need to get the right view of God when it comes to praying. God can do more than anything that we can possibly imagine that he can do. He has the capacity. Now, whether he chooses to do, whether it's in his will to do, is another matter. But we need to get our focus right on the nature and character of God when we pray. And he says how he thanks God for all of them. And he has specific things for which he thanks them for. That he thanks God for about them. I find this interesting as well. You know, we give thanks for the meal because the meal's in front of us, right? Wouldn't it be interesting if we went, Lord, tonight I want to thank you for the, the peas, the chicken and the gravy and the, parrot, the carrots and the potato that are set before me. Interesting thought, isn't it? Could liven up the graces a bit, couldn't it, eh? You mightn't even like to say some of the things that are before you, but that's another story. <laughs> but this tells me that, that Paul was thinking about the people, who they were, what they were doing, what had happened in their lives, and was very aware of that so he could give thanks. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that we don't give thanks as much as we should is because we forget what we've asked for. I have a great forgettery. I put it there and stuff just disappears. It goes away. You know, the psalmist tells us, he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So how do you remember? I mean, how did Paul remember? Well, my guess is that that Paul just cast his mind into that group of people and just worked his way through them and he knew about them and what they'd done and so on. That's one way. Another way is actually to write a list, to have a list that you follow so that you have the people that you want to pray for regularly, the people that you want to pray for semi-regularly and so on and so on, the things that you're praying about today. That way you remember. I have some exercise books at home where I've written out prayers and... If I were to go through them, there are, there are lines through each page. The lines that are through each page reflect the fact that all of those things were answered. They are a constant reminder to me of God's goodness in my life. But maybe if I didn't have those things, I mightn't remember. Why do we have this? It's called remembrance, isn't it? Do this in remembrance, in memory of me. So you don't forget what I have done for you. By the way, Ken, thank you for leading us today. And uh, I really appreciated that. And I was, I was thinking, you know, it goes even further. Because Jesus paid it all for the people who wouldn't deliver. Right? For the people who wouldn't believe as well. You know, that, that's, you know, to die, to die for somebody who's going to reject you. To me, that's knowing that. It's just amazing. I mean, it's amazing that he died for me. But then I think he knew lots of people would reject him, but he still died as well. That's really something that he would do there. And, of course, prayer becomes one of the things that we benefit from because we become God's child. We can call God our Abba Father. We have access into his presence. All of those things, prayer is part of that deal for all of those who believe. So there's the idea of lists that can help us remember. But then I want you to notice he talks about praying continually or praying night and day. And this is the idea of diligence in prayer. Jesus taught about that, you know. 
In Matthew, he tells the parable of the person who pesters the person until they answer. Now, he's not really saying that you need to pester God. That's not what he means. But he's talking about persisting and not giving up, of being diligent, of continuing, of asking, seeking, knocking. That's what he's talking about. How often should you pray about something? It's a a question, isn't it? How often should I nag God about something? Very difficult to know those answers, but certainly diligent persistence is an important part of prayer. And then the things that he prays about are things that show us that prayer should be about things more than just physical needs. And I want to zero in onto that for a little while. You know, a lot of what I hear in churches, a lot of what I see in my own life, is praying for physical things. Now, I'm not against praying for physical things. I already told you I prayed that God would look after me when I was on my own. So I prayed for a physical thing. So I'm not against doing that. But sometimes, as believers, we get very focused on the physical, on the here and now, as we see it. And, you know, we've... In the leading this morning and in a couple of the songs we've had about this idea of eternity and so on, which is all wonderful and all this kind of thing, uh, but in the meantime we, we want to pray that now will be as good as it can possibly be sort of thing. That's sort of how the prayers go. Now I'm not against praying for people who are sick. I'm not against praying for people who need jobs. I'm not pr- against praying for people where they're having struggles in their work or their school. I think we should do that. But I think prayer should be more than that. I think our prayer should be more than that. And I think this comes out very strongly in the content of prayers that, that Paul and his team prayed. And I just want to focus in on the last few verses there now. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So here, Paul is thinking about their spiritual well-being, about how he could help them, And so he's praying that God would make a way possible for him to go and minister to them. You know, I'm delighted to be able to go back to Africa in a couple of weeks' time. I'm delighted because I love those people. I'm delighted because I know they're people who are actively engaged in the work of God and who need lots and lots of encouragement and help, and I want to go and be that person, right? That was the sort of attitude... I mean, Paul had it on a much bigger scale than Peter King. That's the same kind of idea. But Paul's prayer was that God would make that possible. And so he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. Not just so we can have a good time. Not just so we can hang out together, though they would do all of those things. But so that he could help them in their journey of faith. Then he says, May the Lord, so it's a prayer, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. So he prays that the love between the church people would grow. How did Jesus say that the world would know we're his disciples? Because we because we love one another. So it's right in this spirit that, that Paul is praying here that the people of the church would love one another. What we need in every church is more love. More love of Christ between all the members of the church. 
So as we heard all those one another's that Sam talked about last week, so that they all emerge because we love one another. May your love increase and overflow for each other. Notice that? So my love grows and it overflows to other people. I've got enough love in my heart to share it around to the people around me. I'm not mean with my money. I'm not mean with my time. I'm not mean with my kindness or any of those things. I've got plenty to share around. That's what he's talking about. He wanted them to be like that. In fact, Joshua's church in Rwanda, they say, we want to be a community of love. Hmm? It's a good thing to love, isn't it? Is it a good thing to love? Do you like it when you're loved? You do like it when you love, don't you? And when a church loves one another, it's very powerful. And it's powerful in this way. May your love overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. So not only an overflow of love to one another, but to the whole community. Why do we reach out to people? Why really? Oh, Jesus died to them? Yes. Jesus wants them to know him? Yes. The Bible says we should? Yes. But really, isn't it because God has shed abroad his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and we want them to experience that same kind of love? Isn't that what it's about? Isn't that what we want to do? And so Paul prays that there'll be an overflow of love. One of the churches I go to, I minister at in Cape Town, their tagline is, they say, we want to be a community where there's an overflow of grace. I like that idea. An overflow of grace. Not just experiencing God's grace for ourselves, not just experiencing God's grace among us, but being people who take the grace of God to the world, which God has called us to. And then lastly, he prays that God would strengthen their hearts so they be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. What is this about? Well, he's really praying for a practical holiness. And when we're talking about blameless, it's not just blameless uh, before God. It's not just blameless in your own heart, but it's blameless in the reputational sense. You know, when Paul talks about the qualities of church leaderships in the leadership in Timothy, one of the things that he talks about as being of good repute, of being blameless. That's what he's talking about here. So people know you by your character. He says, I'm praying it would be like that when Jesus comes. So he's going, we're here now. Jesus is coming sometime in the future. And remember, they thought that was going to be pretty soon. All we know is that it must be sooner than it was now. That's all we know. So we all live in that in-between time, right? The time between when we believe and when we die and go to heaven or when Jesus comes back again. We all live in that in-between time. None of us know how long that in-between time is going to be. But Paul here prays that when they get to the end, they'll still be in that good condition. One of the things that all of the apostles are concerned about when you read the New Testament, with all of the epistles, is this idea of the endurance of the saints. Now, I believe in, in the idea of us being saved and God having us in our hands, and no one can take me out of his hands. That's one of the things that I believe in. But I also believe in that the proof of somebody being genuine 
is that they remain faithful until the end. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's praying that they'll be faithful until the end, that when Jesus comes back, they'll be found to be blameless and holy. Now, when we talk about faithful, I don't mean that they'll stay in your church forever. I mean they stay true to Jesus forever. That's the question that we're talking about here. So how can I apply this to myself? How can you apply this to yourself? It seems that there are a number of, to me, there are a number of things here. The first is that as we pray for other people by name, we should be asking God to show us how to be a blessing to them. Because that's what Paul did. Right? Lord, I want to go to them so I can be some help to them. Make that possible. So as we think about the people in our circle, our family, our children, our grandchildren, as we pray for our church members, even as we pray for people who don't know Jesus, Lord, how can I be a blessing to that person? There's an attitude there that says I'm thinking about other people and what I can do for other people. You say to me, oh, doing for other people is costly. Of course it's costly. Of course it's costly. It was costly for Jesus to do what he did for your sake, for my sake. What price are we prepared to pay for the sake of another that another may be blessed? I wonder how God would lead you if you thought about the people in your church and your circle and you said, Lord, show me how I can be a blessing to that person. What can I do for them? And notice I've said by name. And I've said it by name because I think Paul was thinking specifically of the people. And so not just... Lord, help me to be a blessing to other people today. That's a good thing, right? But Lord, I'm seeing this person today and this person today and this person today. Help me to know how I can help them today. It's a different kind of attitude, right? Different kind of attitude in the way that we view others and our position in relation to others in their lives. Then, very simply, pray that the love between church members would grow. Now, by this, I don't mean... Anthony and David, I'm just going to pick on you for a minute because you're with me, right? I don't mean, dear Lord, I know that David and Anthony are at loggerheads, so I pray that love will grow between them. That's not what I mean, right? It's not singling somebody out for your special attention in a critical way for prayer, right? It's really praying that the love of Christ would grow in everybody's heart in a way that is manifest between the people and the way that they treat one another. That's what we're talking about. If you want to know what that looks like, a good place to read is Acts chapter 2 and the way they, they treated one another in community. That, that will give you a picture of what a loving community should look like. But then pray that, that that same love will flow out into the community. Yeah, I don't mean, you know, Lord, Josh is the pastor. I pray that your love will grow in his heart so much that he does a good job of reaching out to the community. I mean, that's that's one of the ways that we kind of approach church life sometimes. We look at it in terms of the leaders and what they need. But here we're talking about the body. We're talking about the whole body being prayed for. We're talking about the whole body being mobilised. We're talking about the whole body loving the community. Imagine what it would be like if every Christian in every church, everywhere, loved someone in their circle in the name of Jesus. What do you think that that would do for the gospel and the kingdom? It's really a simple mathematical equation that the more of us do that, the more of us will come to know Jesus. It's very simple, really. And Jesus understood that, which is why he called disciples to follow him and to turn them into fishers of men rather than just fishermen. And the last thing is to... hmm, I don't know, it is there, to pray for each other's spiritual life. 
So as you, as you pray through, I know you've got a church directory, right? That's right, isn't it? So it's got names in it, hasn't it? Hey, no brainer. You don't even have to remember they're already there, right? But as you come to a person, think of them in their spiritual life. Yes, think of their practical needs, think of their home situation, all for sure. But think of their spiritual growth and their spiritual life and pray for that, that that part of their life would grow. Pray that they would be faithful to the end. Pray that they would be enduring. Pray that they would be holy and blameless all the days of their life. Wow. That could change our prayer meetings, I think, if we prayed for one another in that kind of a way. Now, while we're talking about prayer, do covet your prayers as we... As we go on our trip, and I've just put some things up there that you could pray for with Tony and I, and I've not listed one physical thing there, right, because I had to be true to what I was just saying. But you can pray for the physical stuff as well. But to me, the critical things are that we'd be a spiritual encouragement to our partners, that we're doing some evaluation of our projects so that God would give us good insight around that, but importantly, that when we're teaching, that we do so in a biblically authentic way while being culturally sensitive at the same kind of thing. They are really critical issues for us in what we're doing. So if you could support us in that, I would be ever so grateful. I really would. I don't do, I shouldn't say this, I've done a couple of evangelistic meetings in Africa, but I tend not to do that. Because in the context where I go, if a white person gives an appeal, everybody will respond. Right? So I'm working with others supporting them to do that because they're the people who know uh, the local people and the way that they go. So when you're thinking about praying, and I'm pretty sure that I've actually used this here at this church before, the good thing is I didn't write it on my list, so I've forgotten, but I'm pretty sure I did this before. When you don't know how to pray for somebody, how do you pray? What do you, what do you pray for? What do you pray about? Well, Paul gives us some insight there. But Paul also gives us some insight in the way that he prays for the Ephesian church. And he says, this is the way that he he prays for them. And I thought the best thing that we could do for one another today is to pray for each other these words. Because these words really are, they go deep to the core of who we are and what God wants to do in our lives. So as I read these words today, I am praying for them. I am praying them, and I am going to change the, the, the pronouns so it's for us, right? And I'm praying for me, and I'm praying for you. Father, we come to you, the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that you, out of your glorious riches, may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and I pray that we being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know to deeply know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do I hear an amen to that? And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that it's a work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord bless you as you pray.